When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharon Janes is a best-selling author of 25 books. She's a popular speaker at women's conferences and events and an avid blogger. She served as vice president of Proverbs 31 Ministries and co-host of their daily radio feature for 10 years. She currently writes for their daily devotions and she teaches at the She Speaks Writers Conference. Today, we're going to talk with her about the power of words, the subject of one of her most popular books, The Power of a Woman's Words, How the Words We Speak Shape the Lives of Others. Sharon, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Kirk. I'm delighted to be here today. If there's one thing that I've learned over 31 years of marriage, that it's not, it's not only the words I say, to my wife, but it's the way I say them. And that's usually what gets me in trouble. It's the way I say these things. And I wanted to talk with you about this. I've been so looking forward to this uh, because I know that there are words that some of us hear from the time that we're, we're this big that still ring in our ears as adults that shape the way we speak to others and the way we, we feel about ourselves. So can we, can we start there? Uh, do you have any any childhood memories of words that were spoken to you that have shaped who you are today? Ashley Kirk, I can think back of to my childhood, and I don't really remember a lot of positive, encouraging words that were spoken to me. I remember um, my parents fought a lot, and my mother was kind of bitter about all that. Dad drank a lot, and um, they really didn't have a lot left over to, to give their children just mm. because of their own struggles. And, and a lot of negative words were spoken to me as a child. Actually, studies show, now get this, that for every negative word that is spoken, it takes five or seven positive words to balance that out. And I don't know about you, but for me, I think it's more like a hundred. I mean, I hear one negative word, and then there's it takes a lot to overcome that but in the average home, and mine was below average, believe me, but in the average home, there are, for every one positive word, there are 10 negative words that are spoken mm. to a child. And, um, and, I, and I saw that in my own home. And, and I think I was particular words that were spoken to me that made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And when my mother said, what is wrong with you? I mean, we've probably all said that to our kids, right? But I remember as a child thinking, I don't know, but there's something wrong with me because I'm just not as good as everybody else. But that is, it was in my home as a child. And as we're talking about children, you know, it's not just our own children. We have to be careful about mm. the words that we speak, but um, to other people's children. Because there was a woman in my neighborhood when I was about 12 years old, I started hanging out with this girl, this friend of mine, and her mother used her words in such positive ways. And while I was afraid of my own dad, she began to tell me about a heavenly father who loved me. She talked to me about Jesus, but she also used her words to encourage me as an adolescent. And her words changed the whole course of my life as she ended up leading me to Christ. So I've got I've got a picture of what negative words can do to a child yeah. and what positive words can do to a child. And we have that power in our own homes. 
Words are so powerful. I'm excited about our conversation. And, and I want to know from the beginning, what inspired you to write a book about the power of a woman's words specifically? You know, really, this is the same truth for men as well. I mean, truth is truth, but it's just wrapped in a package that's more appealing for a woman. But I thought about my own life and the words that were spoken to me and how how my own family used words. And, you know, when you grow up like that, you're either going to repeat the process mm -hmm. and you're going to become like that, yeah. or you're going to choose to do something different. And I wanted to do something different. So I had to learn how to do that. So I became a student of my words. When I had my own child, I wanted to make sure that I was speaking life into this child and not speaking death. And, you know, the, the Bible does say the power of life and death are in the words we speak. And when we say death, it's not going to kill somebody physically, but... But Kirk, there's the death of a dream, there's the death of a marriage, there's the death of a relationship. And I wanted to make sure that I did not use my words in the way that I was raised. And I wanted to use them in the way God wanted mm. me to use them, to speak life into someone and not suck the life right out of them. So when I got married, I made a decision I was going to speak life to my husband. And I'm not saying I do that perfectly. Nope. Absolutely not. But I wanted to, to try to do the best I could with God's help. And then I had a child, same thing. I wanted to make sure that I was speaking life to that child and use it in a way to, to build my family up and not tear them down. And of course, that bleeds over into other areas with your friendships, your relationships with people in the body of Christ, mm -hmm. and even in, into the world as we use our words in the checkout line at the grocery store, um, as we use it on the airplane, who's sitting beside us. So that's what encouraged me to be a student of the words that we speak and then put this down in a, in a book. And God has given me so many um, illustrations of, of the the good, the way we can speak life to someone, the way we can speak death yeah. to someone, how we build someone up, how we tear someone down, how can we, we can go from being a chief cheerleader one minute and then being a critic um, the next. And, you know, some of those stories are, are very embarrassing, um, but I included them in there because I think that people will be able to relate to, you know, you put, you squirt toothpaste out of a tube, you can't get it back in. And that's how it is with the, with the words we speak. So learning how to use our words in a good way. I think you're right. Truth is truth. But do you find that words from your mother can land differently than the words coming from your father or your husband? I'll be honest with you, Kirk. I was the queen of comebacks. Now, yes, I became a Christian as a teenager, but it took many years for God to renew my mind. Um, and I'm well into my 30s. I mean, I could, I was the queen of comebacks. And if you had a sarcastic remark, I can guarantee you I had one better. You know, that was just part of my makeup. But I think a lot of women have that gift of um, of the comeback and knowing how to stick it to you like, like my mom um, did. So we have to really try. Now, I'm not saying men don't have that as well. Yeah. But um, in, in my experience, we women are really gifted um, at that. So it's something we have to watch watch for. You know, one time God gave me such an example of that when I had gone for a walk with a friend in my neighborhood and um, it was in the evening. Uh, um, it, we stayed and we chatted. It was late. And so I, I thought my husband would be so worried about me. So I called home to tell my husband, Steve, where I was because I knew he was worried. And he didn't pick up the phone, which made me very angry. And um, I, I said in the, the, we had an answering machine at the time, I called to let you know I was at Catherine's. Obviously, you don't care because you won't pick up the phone. I thought you'd be worried. So I hung up and I go back home and I'm going home in the dark. My husband's on a bicycle and he, where have you been? I've been looking all over. I'm like, oh, you do care. So what did I do when I got home? 
you know what I did. I erased that message before he That's heard right. it. But he called me in about two days. He said, have you listened to the voicemail yet? We still had an answer machine at the time. I said, no. Use your cell phone and call it. And this is what I heard. Hello, you've reached the James residence. We're unable to answer the phone right now. I called to let you know I was at Catherine's. I thought you'd be worried about me, but you obviously don't care because you won't pick up the phone. Please right. leave a message at the sound of the beat. <laughs> and how did that happen? Well, we'd had a lightning lightning strike and it mixed the wires up. But in that one little voicemail, I heard how quickly we as women, we as human beings can flip between blessing someone, sweet voicemail, to cursing, as it says. Now, that wasn't cursing, but it certainly wasn't very nice. And I got to see how quickly we can do that. Yeah. And how we have to get a, I mean, I, that was, I was so embarrassed. And, and I felt like God was saying, yeah, I'm embarrassed for you. Um, you say in your book that grumbling, which is another form of using our words, is a roadblock to recognizing and realizing the promises of God. So how do we not, how do we avoid being like the like those complaining grumbling people in the wilderness? Think about this, Kurt. When we complain and grumble, it's basically saying that we don't like how God is doing things. That's right. And we think we could do it better. That's right. So when we and, and, and what does the Bible tell us? It says, "Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise." So if we're feeling far away from God, we need to look at. What are we doing with our words? Are we complaining and grumbling? Yeah. And when we start praising God and thanking Him, um, it tells us to, to, to be thankful. It doesn't say you necessarily are thankful for your situation, but be thankful in all things, not necessarily for all things, but be thankful in mm. all things. And when we start using our words to, to thank God and praise God, it can get us back on the right, mm. right track and we can start feeling our, our relationship with the Lord being, yeah. being stronger. So grumbling is one of those things um, it's a dissatisfaction and I think that grumbling is part of the problem in the in the Garden of Eden actually with the fall of man because you think if if he had if Adam and Eve had been satisfied with what God had provided they would have never believed that lie of the enemy in the first place one thing that has perplexed me is why it's so difficult for us to use the right kind of words with our adult children I have six of them and it seems to be completely particularly complicated. When the kids are little, uh, it seems to be fairly simple, but when they get older, it gets more and more complicated. Why do you think that is? It is very complicated. Actually, this is the second edition of this book, and the first one didn't have that chapter about adult children because I didn't have one. And then once I had an adult child, I thought, this is another story. So it is very complicated. And when they're little, you know, you start out as being the commander, and then right. you move into being the coach, then you move into being the counselor. But when they leave home, you are just a consultant. And if we don't change the way that we speak to adult children in, and within a consultant, you only give advice when asked, right? So we need to change that. And James talks about how the tongue is like a rudder on a ship, that something very small controls something very large. And if you don't change the way you use your words with adult child, that rudder is going to lead the ship into some very mm. rough waters. And then there's other things that complicate it. There's birth order, there's male or female, there's personality, there's past hurts, because many child, an adult, not many times an adult child will filter what they're hearing through the sieve of, of past wounds. So we need to be mm. um, cognizant, cognizant of that. But with an adult child, 
We need to stop telling them what to do. Stop making comments that you would not make to a friend. Stop being the the commander or the counselor with the kid that's an adult. Let them ask you when they want advice. And then even with giving advice, it's not this is what you should do, but it's more this is what I would do if it were me. Sharon, why is this so difficult? You know, the Bible speaks of the the, the, the tongue, that which uh, produces our words uh, like a fire that can set a whole forest ablaze. Uh, you, you mentioned that it's like a little tiny rudder that can steer a giant ship. And when it comes to controlling that, putting reins on this, this little device that we have that is so powerful, it, it seems impossible. You just over, you, 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 over, you, you spill over with emotion, whether it's anger or whatever, and you just let these words fly like weapons. How do we rein that in? Kirk, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Let's give us the bad news first. Let's do the, ba- let's do the bad news. Here's the bad news. I'm going to read it. From, from the Bible, it says this in James. It says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. That is bad news for modern man. But let me give you some good news. Here's the good news. It also says in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then we know as Gabriel was talking to Mary about giving birth to the Son of God, he, and she questioned that. He said, nothing is impossible with God. Mm. So those are the two things we need to remember. I, I Honestly, I think we can make our, our, our language and our words better, certainly on our own, but I don't think, it tells us right here in Scripture, it is impossible to tame the tongue. So if we want to change the words that we speak, I think there's, there's four good steps that, that we can take. First thing is we need to realize that we need to change the words that we speak, that we're, we're saying things that we wish we hadn't said, and we're, we're hurting people with, with our words. And at that knife, we're using it in a bad way. That Hebrew word uh, for mouth, P-E-H, knife, you know, a knife in the, the hand of a surgeon brings life. A, a knife in the hand of a murderer brings death. So we need to realize mm. how are we going to use the words, and then we pray. That's the first step. Since we can't do it on our own, um, we need to pray and ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us change our words. And that's what David did. Listen to this. In, in Psalm 141, David prayed, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So he prayed that, mm. Lord, you do this. You keep a guard over the words of my mouth. You do it, Lord. You you help me to, to have the power within me to to say what I need to say and to not say what I don't need to say. Number one, pray. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And then number two is we examine our heart. Because you know that old saying, Kirk, what is down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. Now, they might not say that in California where you live, but down in the South, that's what my country grandmother would say. But it's down in the well, it's going to come up in the bucket. And so we need to examine our hearts. Lord, why am I saying these sarcastic comments? Why am I saying these hurtful things to my child? Examine where it's coming from. And you know, sometimes I can write a sentence a lot better than I can say it. So I want to read this one sentence, if it's okay. Actually, that I have written in the book. It says, if we don't address the issue of the heart and slip over trying to fix our words that come out of our mouths ourselves, We'll keep mopping up the kitchen floor rather than fix the busted pipe that's causing the mess in the first place. 
Mm. So we need to examine our hearts to see where this is coming from. For me, I could probably trace it back to what I grew up with. If that's what I grew up with, that's what I've learned. So examine your heart. Then the third thing is to retrain our minds. I mean, isn't that what we see in Romans 12 too? It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now we're trying, as we're talking about taming our tongues, we're trying to change the way we act basically. But here's what I've discovered. We cannot act differently than we think. So the first thing we need to do, and it tells us right here in Scripture, the first thing we need to do is to change the way we think. Yes. Because we have these habit patterns. And and you think about a truck going down a a dirt road. And after a while, there's ruts, right? There's ruts in the road. And the truck, after a while, goes down the road. And it it doesn't, you don't even have to steer it. Just gets in the ruts and there it goes. Well, the same thing happens in our brain. They're called neurological pathways. And after we have a certain habit pattern, so we think a certain way, whether it's about ourselves, about our world, the, the way we talk, we get neurological pathways in our brain and we just follow along with that, just like that, that truck in the dirt road. But what it tells us when we come to Christ is that we have to renew our minds so that we think differently. And Kirk, this isn't just a, a spiritual concept. This is a neurological process that as we we have the truth that comes into our minds, we develop new mm. neurological pathways and we will begin to talk differently. But there's a fourth step. And that fourth step is to put it into practice. We have to practice by saying our words differently. We have to practice using our words to speak life instead of death. It's not going to come over us um, without our cooperation. Yes, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it, but we have to participate in that process by, by changing our reflexes. Sharon, I love everything you're saying, and now putting it into practice is is the key for me, so that when I go home, I can take my discouraging words and I can turn them into encouraging words uh, by reframing the way I think and the words that I choose. Can, can, can you help walk me through a real-world example of something like that? Let me give you this example from my son, Bojang. I took him to an amusement park one day, and he was uh, probably maybe fifth or sixth grade. And I felt like, you know, I'm the best mom ever because I don't like amusement parks. They're hot. The lines are long. It's expensive. And I was, I wanted Stephen to make sure he knew what a good mother he had. Now, listen, moms can be travel agents for guilt trips. And I was about to fall into a pattern that I had been raised with. So we were going down this ride and we're in a little log and we go down and we're thrown into water. And I was just about to say to Stephen, Stephen, you are so lucky to have a mom like me to bring you to a place like this. But the Holy Spirit, praise God, stopped me. And I reframed those words and I changed them just a little bit. And I said, Stephen, I am so lucky to have a son like you that I can bring to a place like this. Mm. You see, you see, Kurt, that was just a really small, small change. But if I had said it the first way, he wouldn't have felt lucky to have a mom like me. He would have felt guilty and like he owed me something. But by changing it just slightly, then he did feel he felt like you know the greatest and, kid on earth. You know, there may be a husband out there that's thinking, "Boy, my wife is really lucky to be married to a guy like me." But if if you <laughs> if you think of the truth of the fact that God has given us so much more than we deserve and think, wait a minute, 
a guy like me is so blessed to be married to someone like her, even, yeah. even when it's during our difficult times because God's teaching me things like kindness and patience and, and perseverance and, and forgiveness. And, and, and wow, we're really blessed to have each other. That's gonna change the words that come out of our mouth when we look at one another. Right thinking leads to right speaking. And, and also, just that, I wanna just emphasize practicing practicing using your words in a positive way. And as you begin to do this, you're going to mess up. You know, you're going to have these reflex responses, these knee-jerk reactions. I remember when I was in my 20s and I was driving on a very crowded highway and my my tire slipped off the side of the road. And in my head, I knew, I could hear from driver's head, don't jerk the car back on the road. Slow down and stop and pull it back on. But what did I do? I jerked the car back on the road, went down an embankment, flipped over, rolled over twice, car landed upside down, and I was fine. But that just shows you the power of reflexes. And we, as we start to change the words we speak, we're going to mess up. We're going to have words that we say that are reflexes. But we need to slow down and think about the words that we're speaking before we say them. You know, um, I love in... This is a long passage, but in in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, it tells us what to think about. And as you just said, what we think about is what's going to come out of our mouths. But but, um, Paul writes to the Philippians to whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. Mm. And that is a lot to think about when you're thinking about what you're thinking about before you, you speak. And I I like to use the acronym THINK. Is this true, helpful, inspiring, necessary? That's a big one. And is it kind? If we can Uh. do that before we speak something that's important or maybe something that's, you know, that maybe it's not all that important, but we know it could hurt someone, then that would really, really change things. But here's the thing. After Paul gets that, that long list of what, what we should think on, which is going to be what we speak on, he says, and what have you learned from me, put into practice. And see, even Paul's telling us right there, this is not easy. This is nothing easy. Yeah. It takes practice. I give some some helpful ways of when women come to me and we're talking about this. You know, if this is a real struggle for you, put five pennies in your pocket, in your right pocket. And then as you go through your day, when you say something encouraging to someone that builds them up rather than tears them down, put one of those pennies in your left pocket. Then if you say something negative and hurtful, you got to put it back in the right pocket. But in, as they're moving these pennies back and forth, hopefully they'll end up the day with all those pennies in the left pocket. Again, that's just a, a very small way to, to, to create a new habit. You know, it takes 21 days to create a new habit, but it's also changing those neurological pathways so our truck yeah. get in the right rut. What about the words that we speak to ourselves? I know we could have a whole episode just on this, but how important yes. is it mm-hmm. that when we're rehearsing phrases in our minds that we use the right kind of words that speak life to our own hearts? Well, as I mentioned in that the home I grew up in, I heard a lot of negative words. So I had a lot of negative thoughts and a, a very bad self-perception of who I was. And I came came to Christ, became a Christian, but those negative thoughts about myself did not go away. They were still there. Actually, when I became a Christian, I had a new negative thought. I'm not a very good Christian. So it was until I was in my mid-30s that I started realizing that how I saw myself and how God saw me were very different. So I had to go through a process with an older mentor in my church to change the way that I 
I saw myself. And there were really four steps to that as well. First, I had to realize who the real enemy was. And the real enemy is, is the devil himself. And he tells us lies. It's the only weapon he has is lies. It's the only weapon he had in the garden when he came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? And he wants to keep us under bondage to those lies. Realize who the enemy is. It's not my mother. It's not my father. It's not the person who hurt me. The real enemy is the devil himself. We've got to know who we're fighting in order to win the war. And then the second thing is to recognize the lies. I mean, Kurt, you mentioned I'm, I'm telling myself myself negative things about me that and that really are not true. But most of the time, we don't even recognize we're doing it. We just say, I'm so stupid. I can't do anything right. We don't recognize that those are lies that are con, that are contrasting with the Word of God. Recognize them. David said that he paid it. He paid attention to his soul. Um, he said, "Awake, my soul." He's saying, "Pay attention, soul. <clears throat> Pay attention to what you're saying, what you're thinking." Then the third step after you recognize the lie is to replace that lie with the truth. Uh-huh. And isn't that how Jesus? Um, when he met Satan in the wilderness, he replaced that lie with the truth. Every time he said, it is written, it is written. And so when we say, I am so stupid, we recognize that's a lie. And then we replace it with the truth, which is the word of God, which says, no, I have the mind of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that means all things that he's called me to. This is what the scripture says. Mm. But Kurt, in order to do that and to recognize the truth, I left out one of the steps. The, the, the third step is actually reject the lie. So it's realize the enemy's first uh, true identity, mm-hmm. recognize the lie, then reject the lie and say, that's not true, and then replace the lie with truth. But in order to replace the lie with truth, what do we need to know? We need That's to know true. the truth. So we have to get in God's word, see what he says about who we really are, that, you know, for our, as far as our identity goes, that we're a child of God. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We're God's chosen people. Huh. Uh, we're the bride of Christ. I mean, just, you know, what I love what D.L. Moody once said. He said, the way to tell if a stick is crooked You don't argue about it or denounce the stick. You simply lay a straight stick beside it, and you can see that it's crooked. So get in God's word, see what the truth is, and it'll help you realize if if what you're telling yourself about yourself is true or false, and then replace those lies with the truth. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.